0: Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. I want to share a message. Um, I'm going to do a bit of teaching. Is that okay? A bit of teaching. I have 10 points. So I'm going to go as quick as I can. And I managed actually to get through all 10 in the 1030 service And um, so I want to preach tonight on the topic of worship. And the title of my message is The Weapon of Worship. We're actually in a spiritual war. The Bible tells us that the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. The things that we can see and touch are actually not as real as the spiritual realm. That there's another realm that we don't see. We see from time to time or we get hints of it or... We are, you know, aware to an extent, but it's actually more real than the natural realm. And at the moment, in culture and in our generation, we're in a war, everything's a melting pot. Everyone's on edge, everything's heightened. And there's actually, I reckon if we could see into the spirit, it would be an all out war that's taking place. And so when you go to war, in the natural, you have weapons and you have armor. And so it's the same in the spirit. When we go to war, we have weapons and we have armor. And one of my favorite statements is, is this truth that in the kingdom of God, the safest place to be is on the front line of battle. In the kingdom, you are the safest where when you're engaged. When you're disengaged and when you're allowing complacency to pull you back, you're actually on dangerous ground. The safest place in the kingdom is on the front line. And so tonight I wanna talk about the weapon of worship. The weapon of worship, you know, often the spirit will drop things into my spirit to meditate on. And so for the month of August, I've had these things written on my mirror so that I can see them every morning and they're in my heart for the day. And so I wrote these things on on my mirror and I said, in a dizzy and scatterbrained world, he is seeking a people who see and perceive, see beyond the tangible and into the spirit and perceive something else that are actually asking the question, God, what's actually happening here? He, these people in a dizzy and scatterbrained world who see and perceive, they know, they're called, they've heard it. They've heard it. There are people of calling, there are people of covenant, and there are people of kingdom. Calling, because calling is bigger than career. Calling is bigger than a HR process. Calling is something you hear in the spirit. You don't quit calling. Covenant is is something of the spirit. It's bigger than a contract or an agreement. Covenant is a spirit thing. People of covenant and people of kingdom because the kingdom of heaven is greater than an organization, it's greater than a business name or a logo. We're kingdom people, a people of calling, covenant, and kingdom. And so we're in this spiritual awareness that we're coming into. And that's what the Remnant Room's about, that's what fasting is about, Is it's actually coming into alignment with what God's doing, into this place of perception, into this place of hearing and knowing and understanding. So one of our weapons, just one, is the weapon of worship. And I wanna teach for a bit tonight about what I know of worship, what worship is. And so the first one is this, and it's really obvious, although sometimes I wonder just how obvious it is. Point number one is that worship is about God. Worship is about Him. In Psalm 100, it says, Shout to your circumstance, yourself, your career. No. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with, uh, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is good. He made us and we are His. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you want to know how to come into the presence of God, come with thanksgiving and praise in your heart. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. You know, he alone is worthy. No one else, nothing else is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy and worship is all about him. There's this term in scripture, I shall wait on the Lord. And many people falsely understand that as I'm waiting on God, as in I'm hanging around waiting for God to do something. But that term wait on the Lord is actually similar to when you go to a good restaurant and you've got a good waiter. They wait on you. They serve you. That's what waiting on the Lord means. And so there's this call. Worship is a call to minister to the heart of God, to wait on Him to host his presence we come into his house and we wait on him that's what worship is we host his presence yes sometimes waiting on the lord is extended periods of hanging around in his presence but we're waiting on him the upper room is a worship team that you can look up on spotify i recommend that you do they have a track called Rest, and I recommend that you listen to it if you have a spare 40 minutes. That one track is 40 minutes long, and it's a free worship keyboard track that is unsettling and unnerving and beautiful and waiting on the Lord, ministering to God out of a heart of worship. In Chronicles 16, it says this, Sing to the Lord. All the earth proclaim the good news of his salvation from Sunday to Sunday no from day to day every day declare his glory among the nations his wonders among all the people for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised he is also to be feared above all other gods For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. The world also is firmly established it shall not be moved let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let them say among the nations the Lord reigns yeah. worship is about God I often hear people say <laughs> I often hear people say you know I don't I don't really get anything out of the worship Sweet friend we weren't worshiping you Worship is about God. If we do get anything out of the worship, that's a bonus. But worship is about God. Let us guard our hearts, that our worship focuses on the one who deserves it. That our hearts don't fall into idolatry worshiping anything else, because worship is about God. Number two, I'm created to worship. You and I are created To worship. All of creation testifies and worships God. Have you ever been in nature and it's taken your breath away and you're like, wow, actually, even creation worships God? We're created. All of creation worships. Psalm 66 says, Everything on earth will worship you, they will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Luke 19, Jesus himself says, I'll tell you the truth, if the people don't sing, these rocks will cry out and worship me. We're all created to worship. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God has put eternity in the hearts of all men. That means all of us have a God-shaped hole on the inside of us. And until we meet Jesus, we... In all vanity, try to fill that hole with all sorts of things and come up short every single time. Only Jesus can fill that space, but we were all designed to worship something. And so people right the world over are worshiping. They're all worshiping. We're all designed to worship, except we're designed to worship God. And in John 4, Jesus says, There's a time coming. Indeed, it has now come that true worshipers will worship the lord in spirit and in truth and i want to i want to just help us understand our place in the scheme of things are you ready for a bit of teaching a little bit of doctrine you ready (laughs) so the very beginning of time at the very beginning of time before the world was even formed there was already a plan in place and the bible tells us that in the spirit realm that we don't always see and understand but is real, that in the spirit realm there are heavenly hosts, angels, and there are countless numbers of them. And so in heaven, they're actually assembled in cohorts. The Bible tells us that there are three archangels. Scholars tell us that there are actually more, but scripture specifically states three. We have the archangel Michael, Michael is over the warring angels, the warring cohort. They're the ones that go to battle on your behalf when you pray. So the thing you don't see is that when you're praying for healing, when you're praying for an unsaved person, the moment you release a prayer, it's actioned in heaven, and Michael's cohort are sent to assignment. The other archangel is Gabriel. The messenger cohort everywhere through scripture where it says the angel appeared to Mary and told her. The angel appeared to Joseph and told him. These are the messenger angels headed up by the archangel Gabriel. There is also a third cohort that was in heaven, the worshipping cohort led by Lucifer. Lucifer was an archangel and he was the worship leader of heaven. And in all of his pride, in all of his pride, decided, I want to be worshipped. I want to be like God. And so God says to Lucifer, if you're choosing not me, if you're choosing self, then you can't stay here. But it's your choice. And Lucifer says, well, I choose me. And so God casts him out of heaven and, and he takes a third of the angels with him who are now the demonic spirits in this realm. So the worship leader of heaven and his team get kicked out of heaven and sent into a void place. We don't know how long they were there because God is outside of time. But at one moment in time, we read in Genesis that God turns up in this space where Lucifer was, earth. And he starts creating. And he forms the heavens and the earth, the mountains, the waters, the fish, the animals, the birds, And then you can just imagine Lucifer, he's creeping around in the shadows, seeing this God who he hasn't seen for eons of time. And he's watching God and he's watching all this take place. And then he sees God actually then, he creates everything by the word of his mouth, but this one moment he stops and he gets down in the dirt and starts forming with his own hands, the pinnacle of his creation. And he hears God say to himself, because God is Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're in conversation, let us make man in our image. Let us make them in our image. The one thing Lucifer always wanted was to be like God. And suddenly he sees God making someone like God. He's writhing with jealousy. And he sees this man created. He sees this woman created. And God loves them. And then to top it all off, God says, you know, I'm going to give them free will. They'll love me by choice and they will now worship me by choice. Lucifer wants to silence your worship. You took his job. You took his position. You are loved by God and you are like God. He hates you. Lucifer wants to silence your worship. You are created to worship. You're created to, and there is an enemy that wants to bind up your tongue. Number three, worship soothes your soul. Psalm 42, verse 11 says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet will I praise him, my Savior. And my God, can you see what's happening here? Yeah. This is David, who wrote most of the Psalms and the Psalms are the worship songs of the Bible. And here he's saying, "Why so downcast within me, O my soul?" I want to let you know, it's not about avoiding being downcast. You're a human. Yeah. It's what you do in that moment yeah. of downcast, in that moment of broken, in that moment of What you do there is what you meant to do is what David does. He immediately corrects his soul. He immediately says, put your hope in God. Yet will I praise him, my savior and my God. So God is triune, like we've said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? And so it's important for us to understand a few things that when he created us, we are also triune body, soul, spirit. Your body is the physical temple, the tent that houses your soul and your spirit. Your soul and your spirit are the parts of you that make you you, your personality. They're the parts of you that are eternal. Your spirit man is the part of you that comes alive when you meet Jesus. Your spirit was dead until it was quickened to life when you were witnessed to by the Holy Spirit and accepted Jesus. Your soul is also triune. It just keeps like breaking down. Your soul now is mind, will, and emotion. Think about it. Your thoughts, your decisions, and how you feel is your soul. And so what happens is we take our soul and our spirit into eternity with us the body stays behind. And I have this picture of all these pygmy spirits walking into heaven because they've allowed their soul to dominate when we should be walking in as spiritual giants because our spirit, who is always willing, was actually dictating to the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. So when things are happening, like why so downcast on my soul, you need to allow your spirit man to get your soul into line. Yet will I praise him yet will I declare the goodness of God. Too many of us are allowing our soul to determine our reality instead of our spirit. But worship soothes the soul. Worship corrects the soul. My soul is nourished by what I consume. Music, books, conversation, movies. We correct and nourish and soothe our soul by what we consume. So be careful not to consume the wrong things. Be careful. Are you involved in gossip? What conversation are you in? What are you watching? What are you looking at? What are you listening to? Because that feeds your soul and then your soul affects the strength of your spirit which is meant to be the dominant part of your experience. In our home we've decided that we just won't listen to secular music anymore. We just don't. We've made it a decision. If you open iTunes or Spotify and look at new music, the amount of red ease you will see. It's all explicit. The stuff that's coming out of culture is so degraded and so broken and so evil, and it is feeding the soul of our generation, and then we wonder why we're in the state we're in. I just won't allow it into the atmosphere of my family anymore. We feed our soul with the things that build our spirit. Why so downcast? Why so downcast? Yet will I praise him, yet will I worship him. Correct and soothe your soul through worship. Number four, worship transfers authority. Worship transfers authority. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, okay, fear, fear is putting faith in the wrong thing. We all have faith. Fear is choosing to put that faith in the wrong thing. We need to put our faith into the right things, (laughs) into the things of the Spirit. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and I'm not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? Okay, let me explain this to you. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. God creates man and woman. Are you ready, are you with me? Can I teach for a bit? God creates man and woman in His image. And then He says these phenomenal words. I mean, think about this, the God of all time, Of everything, almighty, everywhere, at all times, all the time. This God creates you and me in His image. Like that's mind blowing to start with. But then He says, now subdue the earth and have dominion over it. He gives us authority in this realm. In essence, what he's saying is I'm taking a step back and I'm giving you my authority in this realm. Now, he's still sovereign, but he gives us authority here in this realm. You have authority. God's given it to you. You have authority here. And then what what did we do? Well, we gave it over to the serpent. We gave our authority over to him and we still do it every time that hiss is in our ear. He still does it until we smarten up and realize who we are. So we gave our authority over to Satan, over to Lucifer. And so we lived separated from our authority, separated from the power that God had ascribed to us. And so Jesus came. Now think about this. Think about this, friends. He gives authority to mankind. So then the only way that this problem could be solved because God had given his authority over to man was for a man to win it back, which is why Jesus had to come as a man, because he had authority in this dominion, in this realm. Do you understand? And so Jesus comes, he takes back that authority through his death and resurrection and then hands that authority back over to us. Are you tracking with me? In Luke 10, Jesus said, look, I've given you authority over how much? How much? Think about this. Think about the opposition you face. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among the snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. We now have been put back into authority because of Jesus. So, what does this have to do with worship? Well, when I confess the truths about God, when I allow my worship to come out and be expressed, I'm exercising my authority. I'm coming into agreement with what God has said and I exercise my authority. When I speak about his will, his character, I correct the order of things. The word of God in your mouth is active, it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When it's spoken, it moves things into action. And, and, and what isn't yet becomes a reality. Your words are not empty. Number five, spiritual worship has natural implications. Spiritual worship has natural implications so we've talked about this disparity between the spirit and the natural worship allows us to come through that separation and bring the spirit into the natural think about this you may know the story of joshua at the wall of jericho so for generations god has been promising his people the promised land and they're finally at the doorstep of the promise and he says to Joshua, go in and take the land. But the gateway to the land is this city called Jericho that is surrounded by a fortified wall. And they're, they're like slaves that have been in the desert for 40 years. And they're facing a fortified wall. And so God gives them this battle plan. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? It's a really great idea. You're going to shout the walls down. Like God is actually really impractical most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Let me read it to you, Joshua 6. Because he said to them, you're going to march around the wall for seven days, once a day for six days in silence. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times. And then on the seventh time, when the priests blow the horns, you're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. Great idea, God. Yeah. Joshua six sixteen. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted, how loud? How loud did they shout? As loud as they could. Hey friend, when you're facing your Jericho wall, why don't you come into church and stay silent? Why don't you come into church and just be really mousy? No, no, when you're facing your Jericho wall, shout how loud? As loud as you can. As loud as you can. And so they shouted as loud as they could and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Physical sound, when it's done in faith and it's done in authority, resonates in the spirit realm the devil doesn't want you to clap he doesn't want you to stomp he doesn't want you to shout because he knows more than you do the power of your clap the power of your stomp the power of your word and what it does in the spirit he hates it he hates it paul and silas in prison paul in the new testament goes from town to town preaching the gospel And he ends up in prison everywhere he goes. You know what, someone here, you may be persecuted at work for being a Christian, maybe in your family, maybe in your group of friends. I want you to know that most of Paul's writings were written from a prison cell. Don't be surprised when that comes and do not pull back from the gospel just because someone doesn't like it. He's in the prison cell with Silas, listen. Acts 16 verse 23, they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, like the very guts of the jail, the deepest cell, and he clamped their feet in stocks. At around midnight, Paul and Silas were sitting around feeling sorry for themselves and complaining about the government. No, they were not doing that. At around midnight, (laughs) they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And here's that word again. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundation. The doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Oh, man spiritual worship has natural implications. I remember when I was pregnant with our third child, Judah, and I was starting to experience the symptoms of miscarriage. And it was a Friday and we went to hospital and they said, sorry, we can't do any tests until Monday. You're going to have to ride out the weekend. Come and see us on Monday. And I remember being in church that Sunday morning. And I don't know if you've noticed or whether you suspect that sometimes I'm just as shaken as you are when I walk into church. Sometimes I face my own things. And I stood there on the front row and the song we were singing was a song called Dominion. And there's a line in it that says, with all that's within me, I will bless your name. And I decided in that moment that all that was within me, my unborn child would bless the name of the Lord. And I sung that song as an act of warfare. I sung it with tears streaming down my face and I declared by decision and by will that everything that was in me would bless the Lord. There's a lady in our church who um, a couple of years ago was diagnosed with Graves' disease. And it was about the time that that praise song came out that sings, and I came out of that grave. And she decided that she was gonna reject the doctor's report and sing that song in faith as a play on words. So she's given the diagnosis of Graves' disease singing, I came out of that grave. And she sung it every Sunday as an act of rebellion against the spirit realm that was trying to tell her she had a condition. God miraculously healed her. She never had treatment because spiritual worship has natural implications, has natural implications. Number six, when we worship, we're joining with the angelic. Worship is an outflow. It comes from an overflow. Worship is a heart response of awe. When you truly see Him, you see yourself. And when you see Him, the only response is worship. There's no other response. You cast down your accolades, you cast down your pride, you cast down your crowns and you pour worship out from a posture of brokenness, awe, wonder, humility, gratitude. It's quite a scene in heaven because the angels get this. (laughs) Hebrews 12, the writer says to us, no, church, no. You've come to Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Revelation 5.11, I looked again and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and the living beings and the elders. And Isaiah 6, one of my favorite chapters, a vision of heaven, they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies and the whole earth is filled with his glory. When we worship, we join with the angelic. Number seven, corporate declaration is synergistic corporate declaration has a synergy to it. The Bible tells us in Matthew 18, Jesus' words to us, I tell you, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, there I am among them. There's a synergy of agreement between brothers and sisters in the faith. Where two or more gather in agreement, there's a synergy that takes place. So there's more than two or three here right now. And there's more than two or three who actually believe in Jesus and stand in faith. So that word tells us that right now, anything we agree in, He will do for us. Right now, because we stand together in agreement, He's in our midst. Okay, I was never any good at maths, all right? Sorry, Brent, I was terrible at maths. I just passed mainstream maths. But I'm really good at kingdom mathematics. Really good at kingdom mathematics. So in the natural, one plus one equals two. In the kingdom, according to Deuteronomy 32, one spirit-filled person plus another spirit-filled person equals 10,000. Kingdom maths says that there's synergy around corporate declaration. There's synergy around it. So when I take my natural and add his super to it, my natural plus his super equals A plus in Kingdom maths. Very good. Number eight, worship is a practice of the will. As much as worship is an overflow of the heart, it's also a conscious and deliberate act of the will. In 2 Samuel, David said these phenomenal words, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. We, when we offer God something, we need to feel it leave us. It needs to cost us something. And so just as much as it's an, an act of response because we see His glory, sometimes our circumstances so cloud our view of God that we can't see Him, we need to choose to worship. We need to choose it. We need to choose it. In 1 Samuel, the prophet is saying to the king, don't you know that to obey is better than sacrifice? There are times where you actually just need to step into obedience. I want to tell you that worship is a participator sport. It's not a spectator sport. Worship is not not a borrowed license you can lend from someone when things happen in your life. Worship is something you engage with. It's a practice of the will and it costs us something. Do you remember the woman with the alabaster jar? Her worship cost her a year's wages. When was the last time you gave something worth a year's wages? Number nine, worship is a tactical strategy. Throughout Israel's history, the times when the nation did well were the times when the worship of God was at the core of their cultural identity. If you read about it in the Old Testament, King David in the books of Samuel, in the books of the Chronicles and in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, he set up the nation according to different, you know, a a plan of administration, and the worship component of his administration was priority. He had hundreds of worshipers, musicians and singers. And so when that started to, to be compromised as David passed away and new kings came, the nation started to fall apart. And then the prophets rebuilt the nation. And the first thing they did was reinstill worship because worship is a tactical strategy. So good leaders made it public policy to worship God. They had military, they had administration, and they had worship. I wanna encourage you, church. Make worship part of the administration of your life. Staff it in your life. Administrate for it in your life. Prioritize it. Make it a tactical strategy. Make it a public policy in the chambers of your life. Here, we will always prioritize worship. We prioritize worship in our services. We prioritize worship in the youth ministry. There are many youth ministries around the world that just do games and pizza not us because worship is a tactical strategy in the generation our kids ministry is possibly the only kids ministry in the nation that has its own kids worship band because worship is not a tradition worship is not the part of the beginning of the service that you use to come late worship is a tactical strategy it's a strategy The remnant room, we throw out everything but prayer and worship. It's a tactical strategy. Number 10, worship restores order. It restores order. Psalm 97, verse 9. For you, Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. I'm reminded when I worship, spirit and truth worship, that he's God and I'm not. That He's God and they're not. That He's God and that circumstance is not. I'm reminded that He's God. And when He's God, everything else falls into place. Everything else is in its correct order. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point Church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.